Ask the GMs, episode 19, how to run your first game and start role-playing. Good evening, this is Zach from Ask the GMs. Welcome you back, and I hope you're having a great evening. Handing it off to Pat. It's Pat. We're back again. It's been a little bit of time, but uh, hopefully we'll get back on a normal schedule. And, uh, you know, I like to think of this as GMing your first session for dummies. Buy some dummies. That'd be us. They're smarter than I. But uh, speaking of smarts, let's go on to Brian. Hey, everybody. I'm Brian, and I'm still an aspiring GM, so I'm excited to go through this myself. Um, yeah, it'll be a good good learning experience for everybody, but I will pass it to Lindsay. Lindsay, and I am a player and lover of all things TTRPG, so... I'm really excited to uh, to go over some stuff tonight and to learn from all these wonderful people, including, I guess I'll pass it back over to Zach. Thank you. And the goal of this episode is to get everyone ready for free RPG day. If you don't know, free RPG day is coming up. It's June 24th. Check out your local friendly game store for any free modules and people running games. I'm going to try to run Dockside Dogs at yes. Take Your Games. Speaking of game games, um, would like to shout them out as well as Sideboard. Uh, we spend plenty of time there. Great folks uh, willing to help. And um, yeah, um, we love it. Cheers to them. Thank you, Brian. To start off this episode, we're going to do the very basics in terms of teaching people how to get ready to play their first RPG. And it's like, it's literally playing your first game. Uh, I'm going to start by. Your first goal, if you've never played and you're not comfortable running, is finding a group to play with. Whether that's going to a local hobby shop, if you're in college looking at message boards, go to your local library and look for message boards, look online, look on Facebook. The worst thing you do is just find a group and you go and you go there and play and you find out you don't like it. Congrats, you're af- you're, you're out an evening and you don't like this hobby versus like never knowing if you like it or not. And uh, I'd say, you know, if you're interested in GMing sessions uh, and you're not sure which system you want to try, um, in in lieu of, you know, actually hitting the ground and say you're not able to find um, a lot of people doing RPG systems that you would like to play in your area or you don't have them around, um, you could always see what people are doing on YouTube or other video source uh sharing sites so uh say if you want to see what D, you could go watch critical role or any number of other things to see how they run their games so you can get some insight in how to run your games if you're looking to to play and none of those options are really available to you maybe you don't have a, a gaming store or really a community that that you know of to get you know exposure that way you know, ask around with your friends or coworkers, or, you know, maybe someone has played before or and would like to play again and you can come together and or learn together. That's the first time when I started playing initially, it was just a bunch of work friends and I just asked and <laughs> they said, yeah, I've always wanted to do that. And so we just kind of taught ourselves how to play with, you know, online resources or whatever we could get our hands on to figure it out. Watching some videos online, like like you said, helped. Um, there's a lot of resources on online. Um, 
but yeah, just, just put out, put it out there. You never know um, who in your friend group wants to play. I agree, Lindsay, you know, putting out, putting it out there is a, is a good strategy. I know I had not played, I've only been playing for about a year and I probably would not have played if not for Zach inviting me. Um, and a little known fact, I don't know if I've shared this with y'all, but I was in the parking lot of Cape Fear, like ready to go in and being super nervous and having anxiety and rolling a D20 um, to decide if I was going to go in. And the universe told me I had to go in. So that's, uh, that's what I did. And um, I'm very grateful to um, have my, you know, have the community because it's pretty cool and um I'm thankful for Zach and, of course, Lindsay for being there in my uh, initial cherry popping event and being gentle. Brian, that the best I, way Brian, to write that. <laughs> Brian, can I adopt you? I mean, does that make it? Does that make me a dependent? For tax purposes, no. Damn. Well, I don't know. I'm following uh, Brian's cherry popping event. It's giving me creepy <laughs> uncle vibes there, Zach. <laughs> But I think a, a synopsis of basically what we're all trying to say is you got to take that leap, be it you're the person that initiates, you know, with your whole party of friends to be the first one to rip that bandaid off and do it and start a thing that you guys may grow to like, or, you know, Brian rolling that dice in the parking lot and uh, just getting in there. So, you know, don't don't be fearful of it. And, you know, if it's not for you, then you don't have to keep doing it. Yeah, that's the best advice. Like, oh, I'm not into this. Well, congratulations. You spent an evening finding out. Like, you don't have to spend lots of money to do that. The other secret tech I want to offer, and it's one I need to keep in mind for myself, is like before you start a session, whether you're it's your first time or you're running a game, always start with the mantra, I am going to have fun. Like, don't set a level of fun. Just like, I am going to have fun. And regardless of what happens, you're going to have a good time. Agreed. Um, my general life view is be open to openness. And that's the best thing you can do is go in with the mindset of, this is going to be fun. Something new is going to happen. And I'm going to enjoy it. That's what I try to do every, every session. Now, um, as far as your capability of like playing like whether you should play these rpgs physically or on a digital thing um i think i speak for most of us here that we prefer playing physical in person because when somebody's sitting across from you you can just see the reactions on their face or you could animate with your hands better convey better what it is that you're trying to role play or do with your characters versus digitally. Now, nothing's wrong digital. Um, there's a bunch of different um, services you can use. Roll20 is the first thing that comes to my mind, but I'm sure there's a bunch of other digital platforms out there. Uh, and Foundry, some, Foundry would be a good one. Yeah. And some, some people, they might live in bumfuck Egypt and, you know, it's, an hour or something to your nearest local game store to play. So some of us don't even have options, but just kind of look around for what's best for you in your life. I mean, there's so many online options now that, that you can play. And I mean, even we played um, one 
you know, campaign we played strictly on Discord and we weren't even using voice chat. We were just typing. And I felt like we still got, I felt like I got a great experience out of that as well, even though, even though we were typing. Um, so whatever works for whatever you can get to work for you, um, there's a lot of options. All good points. And if you're showing up to your first time playing with a group or your first time playing with the system, some of the best things you can do is show up with a pencil, show up with RPG dice if you have them. You don't have to have them. I guarantee someone in the group will. And just show, will have <laughs> show up with a can-do attitude. Uh, I'm recently switched positions. I got a new job, and my whole mantra is like, I'm just going to be a Voss. I'm just going to sit there, and I'm going to absorb all the information. And that's what you need to do. You need to be just very passive, because don't go there with any like massive expectations. Yeah, because I, I know some people, they haven't even played, and... Uh they've watched a lot of stuff online and they're like, Oh, I just want to be that bard that sleeps with everybody. And like, that's where they're pigeonholing themselves into. And it's like, ah, it, it might not all pan out how you want, you know, and really depends on the group that you're running with. So I don't know, just like Zach said, be open to different things. I, I can, I can verify that my first session, I think we played D and D um, I had no idea what kind of a character I wanted to be. Um, fortunately, somebody there was, and Zach definitely helped. You know, he's like, be a barbarian. They're super easy. All you do is rage. Um, so that, you know, that's, that was great guidance to start with because, yeah, you know, little did I know at that point in time how kind of crazy the, uh, you know, it gets later on at higher levels. But, um yeah, it's been such a learning experience and so much fun. It's when you're there, I mean, don't be afraid to ask a question like that. Like I don't know, just just say I'm not sure what to play. And someone like Zach will step up and go, Oh, well, normally the question is normally they'll take into consideration what's something that's easier to do, but what do you want to do? do you want to hit things <laughs> or do you want magic or, you know, so that's something that if it's your first time showing up and you're not exactly sure to just don't be afraid to, to admit it and, and to ask someone, cause they'll be happy to help you. Because the thing about this is, is that people who play this, they're all about characters. They want to, they want to, that's part of the fun is creating a character and helping others do that. Yeah. Yeah, never be afraid to ask questions. Even if you seem like it's dumb, oh, I'm going to be like, it's going to be really awkward if I ask that. No, just ask it. Because we're there because we love it. You know, like we're there, you know, you'll, you'll get some help. Also like, oh, I'm, it's my first time. I don't know what to do. Just, just watch the other players. And if you observe, like, maybe I shouldn't do that because that doesn't seem like something that's fun for me. Congratulations. You observe that and don't want to do that. You learned. All right. So our next road stop on the road to becoming a GM. We've talked about, you know, what to do as a player, go in, learn a new system potentially, um, you know, find out how to play said game, be it digitally or physically. 
Um, the next step would be gathering your people and doing all the logistical bullcrap. Bullcrap that kind of sucks, but is needed. Hardest part, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Zach, would you like to talk about some stuff that you do on the logistics end, as far as you know, GMing, getting people together, communicating? Yeah. So this is not a fun part of running a game, but it is necessary. You cannot lollygag you can't put this off this is mandatory this is we are going to set a date as a group and that might not be the best day for you personally as a human but if that is the best day for five people and you're the sixth person that is the day you pick and you you ask is everyone okay with this consistent date and time or do we need to change it versus holidays birthdays life in general you need to like feel everyone out. Another good thing, like I personally tend to like to do because it kind of sets the tone for everyone, is either set a theme for characters or or build an initial concept and hand them to the character, hand them to the players, and let them grow those characters out. That way, everyone has a set theme to work off of. Like you're literally like I'm Charles Xavier and I'm building the X Men. Here's the initial concept and let let your players take the like sketch and draw it into a full character. And um, I'd say on the whole logistics of, you know, talking to your party, getting your dates scheduled, communication's key. Uh, usually it's on you as a game master to kind of check in with everybody, make sure everybody's good to go, drop gentle reminders. You could use Facebook groups or Discord channels or exchange phone numbers or use uh, messenger pigeons if um, you guys live back in time. (laughs) But communication is key. And uh, just, you know, try not to get, if you know three days before the session that, hey, something came up, go ahead and drop, let people know, because the earlier they know, the better. Versus making plans the day of, and oh, all my plans went to shit. I do have to say, it, that does seem like one of the greater challenges um, of GMing is is herding cats, if you will, because um, not every humans have different schedules, and you know things come up. So it's it's life, you know. It, completely rational now if you have somebody who is consistently day of oh i'm not going to make it well you know you're kind of wasting other people's time especially the gms so be a good human now i or i think zach and i would definitely agree it is the hardest part of gming but um when we went back to uh physical or digital Something I do find as far as the digital end of things is if you do play digitally, for whatever reason, it seems that is easier to get people there because for me, you know, Lindsay was talking about our textual RPG adventure and I could do it on my phone. And, you know, whether I was waiting in a train station or an airport or sitting at dinner, I could, you know, chime in every once in a while. So I think that is a perk of a digital play. I think one of the biggest tricks to use if you're going to start running a game is be excited. Like, sell your excitement to your players. Because people want to play the exciting, interesting thing. 
Don't be like, well, we're gonna do curse subscribe. Like, don't don't be monotone. Like, sell the excitement because people want to do the cool thing. And I would back that up with I, I believe I've said it before on on our podcast. Is you get out of it what you put into it. So if you are monotone and you know just blase about all of it, likely your players aren't going to be hyped for it either. I mean, it's to me. It seems like as a GM, um, you you do get a little bit of a say in who joins your game. Obviously, if you're kind of strapped for people, or you know, you have a friend group, you might not be. But I think that would be one of the main things that I would take into account starting a game would be who is playing, because um, I don't want a bunch of Gregs in my group. Yeah, and um, t- talking further about, you know, Brian saying who's playing, since, you know, you're thinking of starting this whole game, I would start maybe with three people, and three, four, five even, but uh, if you're just starting GMing, the more people you add, the more effort and the more directions you're going to be pulled, so increasing the difficulty, and definitely... Even for myself or Zach, Zach's more experienced than I am, but um, I'd say, you know, once it gets to six or seven, like, well, hell, my hard cutoff is five or six. Um, what about you, Zach? How many are you comfortable with running? Uh, six is my cutoff. I ran a one shot not long ago. It was the first time I'd ever really done it officially. And it was a, for a birthday party. And it was seven people. And I regretted my decision. <laughs> it was a lot of people. The biggest reason being is that the GM can only give attention to so much because, you know, the GM's going to be the focal point of, you know, the interactions. Yes, some players can do many chats by, beside themselves, but you're going to have to interact with the GM to drive the story forward. So, And the, running, the running trick over five is do the bouncing ball approach. Just literally go around the table like a circle, like you, 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 you. Or we're in a group. Okay, well, you two sit together, and we'll resolve this as we bounce the ball around. Yeah, because I, I found that was pretty nice whenever um, I was running Two-Headed Serpent. You and Ian and Lindsay and I think Brian were out fighting those soldiers. No, no, no. Brian was in the forest doing the arms deal with the monkey. That is correct. And- Rob and Brian were in the forest, so like, okay, we did a whole lot of fighting over here. Let's cut to this arms deal. One, to give me a break as the GM, but two, you know, to get Brian and Rob back into it, then cut back. But it kind of almost made um, kind of a cinematic feel in my mind, because, you know, you think of a of a, mo- a movie, and it's like, oh, war's breaking out over here, and then we cut to this comedy scene, and then back to the war, and back to the comedy scene, it was like, super nice. And as a player, I appreciate it because, I mean, as much as I enjoy, like, being the center player for a moment, um, I also really just enjoy how the story progresses with other people. Um, and that's that's a personal preference. I don't know if anybody else feels that way, but, um, you know, if, if my character's kind of doing, mon- like, quote-unquote mundane things or something that's not really 
that exciting. I am pumped, you know, when Zach, when it cuts to Zach and Lindsay and Zach just murks somebody in cold blood for $50,000. That was great. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's an important part. At least I, I mean, I feel like it's, I, I, I'm, I'm feel the same way. And I think it's important for, I mean, just from an RP standpoint, if you're, if you're role-playing, it's good to, to look, I have ADHD. I know sometimes it's hard to, to stay centered, but it's really, it's about listening and, and you'll never know, like if you're, it's just, it's fun. It's fun to see, even, even if you're not the center of attention, it's really fun to watch other people have an adventure, but also you're getting all of this information from them about who their characters are and they're in certain situations. And, and that's something you go, Oh, you clock something, your character may be there. They may not be the center of attention, but they're there and you can clock it and go, okay, well, I'm going to bring that up later. Cause that's interesting as fuck. Like, you know, it's just, it's that's, I feel like that's an important part of it is to try to stay in it. Yep, be in the world, even if you're not the star player. Be like, ooh, I need to check out that painting later because I the D, the the game master mentioned two things about it in passing. All right, we've talked about finding what system you like. We talked about learning the system. We talked about the logistics of how to get your group together. Well, Pat, and... not to not to interrupt you, we need to cover a very specific topic right now. Oh, okay, go ahead, sir. Yeah, not to be rude. Now, I am an older player and an older game master, so I'm going to get my old rickety card out because it's not a topic that I'm normally used to seeing. And I kind of, I kind of handle this topic without bringing it up, but it is important. We need to bring up the X card. Would anyone like to f- to define what that is? Cricket. Okay. All right, old rickety man, tell tell us what this X card is. Take your fist yeah. at the cloud, sir. All right. Get off my lawn. You whippersnappers. <laughs> a lot of modern RPGs, I will call it Dishonored for specifically calling it out in one of the first pages of their rulebook. Not as a negative, but as a positive. A lot of modern RPGs will introduce what's called an X card. It's literally a card you put on a table that has large large X on it. A player in a scene will point to that card or before you start playing and say, hey, that's a topic I'm not comfortable with. Oh, that is. I am, not, I am not against this concept. Not at all. However, I'm from a time where like that discussion happened like during character creation or right before it. There is nothing wrong with an X card. There's nothing wrong with this concept. Whether you have a card or whether you're willing to be like, hey, Zach, uh, I need to leave the table or let's please end the scene because I'm not comfortable with it. Another example would be the Call of Cthulhu book. Uh, Berlin, the Wicked City, I preface that book like, you have to be okay with some of the topics we're going to be covering, which includes people of multiple genders, people experimenting with sex and drugs, and the rise of the Nazi party, which are not comfortable topics, and I fully admit that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you do have to be very upfront with it. Um, as I've told you, I've playing the Deadlands Western um, system. And, you know, we're, I think it was uh, 1884 when we're playing with, and in this alternate world, the Civil War has been going on for 20 years, so there's still the Confederacy, still the Union. Um, We have a lot of interactions with Native Americans, and it's like, 
some racist stuff's going to come up. Some terrible shit's going to come up. There's a lot of adult themes here. And uh, our GM, who was who's running it, you know, was very upfront with us and every single player that joins the table about that. So, yeah, it is. Well, I know what's on my X card, and it involves clowns. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, I, I can kind of see that the the one scenario we were running, um, I think, yeah, I think it just ended. Um, not too long ago, my character was African American, and I, as my character, faced a decent amount of racism in the 1920s. Shocking, um, not only from just the world in general, but some of my fellow players. And it was, I mean, kind of enlightening. You know, you you know that that stuff happens and it's it helps in growing i think as a person and a player like hey this is what you signed up for like this is what you're getting yourself into and i think being a game master you need to enlighten your players like hey this is very possibly what could happen I want to call out Lindsay for being an expert in the field of X cards and running her character in a correct matter where she'll let me know if there's an issue or not have it come up if it doesn't come up. Yeah, I think it's, it's really, it, it's, and Zach, you're great at, at, at checking in. I think, um, especially before we even start, you're like, Hey, just letting you know, these things are in here. And I just want to make sure like, you're cool with it. Like, and you're always, you're just like, and if you ever have a problem, just stop me or let me know or step away. Um, it's really important. I think it's really important to have those conversations. Um, even if you're just running a game for people and it's the first time you're running a game for this particular group, I think it's very important just to preface when you sit down, you know, and let them know. I think it's a, I think it's a good habit to have. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and as an older player and an older game master, I'm not saying the X card doesn't exist. I'm just not used to it as a concept because I would have managed it before we even started. Yeah, I'm not saying think, I'm not yeah. saying it needs to go away. I'm saying that I understand why it exists. Yeah, and you're saying it's you're you're not a you want you're glad that it exists because, but for you, you just I feel like you handle the X card just in a different way. I mean, you cover it before it starts and you always make sure that everyone knows what they can do if they need to, you know, if it's if it's something they can't they that they can't particularly handle or or it's it's a topic that they that just needs you just handle it in a different way. It's not a physically pointing to a card or it's just handled differently. It seems pretty implied, honestly. Um, you know, I, I think Zach has a good emotional intelligence about him and his players, you know, to know what he can and can't do. Not that I can see the inner workings of his brain, but I know I haven't been in a situation that's been, you know, uncomfortable. I don't, nothing that's like coming to my memory. So thanks, Zach. You're awesome. I'd say, um, the big X card for me is um, anything like 
super sexual in nature. I'm like, you know, your character is hugging or kissing. That's fine. But I'm not going to be at the table whenever you're re reenacting your erotic fan fictions or whatever. Rolling for constitution me, checks. <laughs> like, <laughs> for me, okay, your character goes to a brothel, he plays for a lady, they chit-chat or whatever. Cut to black. I'm I'm not going to sit there while you RP out, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, right. At most, I might... At most, I might make him roll a con roll to like resist like herpes, but that's all I'm gonna do. Yeah, and, I need your uh, STD roll. Thank you. Because <laughs> uh, I think Zach, you had a certain situation where you were like, "Oh, I didn't think I needed to say no, don't do this." Whenever you stepped away from the table, but then you get back to the table and it's like, "Oh my god!" And to be fair, Pat. Like I was four feet from that table getting a beer out of my fridge and I wasn't expecting to come back like, hey, I really don't need you animating oral sex on another character. It wasn't really prompted. And just no, just no. Yeah. And that stuff, you know, you discuss and it's a good thing to discuss beforehand. You know, any of that needs to be discussed or, you know, at least, you know, letting players know this is the deal. This is how you know, we'll deal with, you know, just let me know these things that these things are here. They could come up, you know, and if they do, or if something comes up and you didn't know that that's something that would make you so uncomfortable, these are, this is, this is what you can do. Just like personally, there is a Delta green campaign called iconoclast, which is set in uh, the Iraq Afghanistan area concerning the Islamic state. I'm like, Hey guys, while this is interesting, I'm not comfortable running this. I might not be comfortable running this for maybe the next 20 years or so. So I'm just not going to buy this book. So don't expect me to run it. Yeah. Well, I remember you were talking about running the Berlin. um, And the fact I I needed adults. Yeah. You texted me and let me know. You're like, so this is just, this is how, this is what's in it. And, you know, just so you know. So. All right. Well, old man Zach, am I go to get us back on funk? Get off my lawn. Get off my <laughs> Yeah, get back to we need to start like we've we've developed our group, we've planned our group, we need to start running. Like the first like, and brand new game master. Alright, so as a game master, your next step is module or homebrew. Which one do you run? And what are the benefits and the negatives of each? Um, Zach, would you like to talk about maybe some of the pros and cons of module? So some of the pros and cons, whether it be a one-shot or a whole adventure, is your time. Some people have more time to divest in their role-playing time. Guess what? As a game master, you do have to put in hours, whether that be a couple of hours before the game starts or eight or nine. I can say as someone who put in 45 hours into Rhyme of the Frostmaiden and never ran it, there is some time invested in there. The advantage to most modules is, hey, you have a framework to work on, whether you run that whole thing or you just steal some stuff from it. The the work is already done. You're saving yourself eight or nine hours of work. Now, what are some big negatives to you for running modules, could you say? Uh 
if you're not comfortable in the system, you might feel hemmed in, like you have to run a certain check in a certain area where you don't feel comfortable doing it, but you also don't know that you're comfortable. Like you you don't have the experience to say like, I wouldn't ask for that check in that period. I might give the player that that information for free or no role. Uh, there's also the cost involved. I'm a big fan of like, if you're gonna run a system for the first time, like look in the rule book and see if there's a full a free adventure in the book or on their website first. But the negative of running modules is you you kind of are kind of trapped within the module a little bit. Yeah, I would say um, time saving is probably the biggest pro for me too as well. But for me, sometimes like there's a reason I have Audible instead of like actually sitting there and reading books. So when I have the module in front of me, it's <laughs> almost daunting, like, oh, Jesus Christ, I got to read this thing front to back, which not necessarily you don't have to. But if if it's something that really entices you, I would recommend it to you. So, you know, the end of the story before you get there or the party gets there. Um, and uh, probably one of the other cons for me for the module is um, I feel a little bit constrained. Like, uh, if something goes wrong, how do I wrap it back into the story for me? Um, and Zach, I, I think, Zach, you're more of a module kind of guy. That's more of a modern thing for me. I used to be a lot of homebrew. Uh, part of the advantage of running modules is learning and, like, learning for, through other people who wrote the module how to run checks. And then once you learn that, you can learn where you can kind of break things and fix things for you. It's not perfect, but it's once again, guess what? Here's a secret. Every game master still has training wheels on. It's just how well they use those training wheels. Oh, and another pro of a module is you're more likely to have a well-written story than a homebrew. Like, you know, we're not all authors. Uh, or play playwright laureates or whatever. Usually, for us people that are homebrewing, we're usually borrowing from movies and stories that are already out there and just twisting it a little bit. So, the module, you know, say if it's a chaosium. Am I saying the company name right, Zach? So chaosism. Yep. Yeah. So if you're running one of their modules, typically it's very well written. There's narrative hooks. There's interesting evil characters and subplots. Whereas, you know, if we're just fumbling around in a homebrew, we might not necessarily get there. Um, I, I have a question about like modules and, and versus homebrew, because um, I my guess is there's a fair amount of like in intuition as far as okay, this is where it would have to go. The, um, just because the one. Well, we run in Two-Headed Serpent. I know um, in North Borneo, we buried a major plot point, which was a nuclear weapon in a mountain. And this is, I guess, more of a question for Zach. Like, if you were running that, what would you have done, like, moving forward? Because my guess is you would have known, like, at least vaguely, like, how that chapter would have ended. Um, like, so, Brian, as a yeah, player in that said game, I also knew what the device we buried was. So mm -hmm. that's kind of like a reverse spoiler. In terms oh. of what happened, the same thing would still happen. 
Like, yeah. it, it doesn't change the power of the device. Oh. Yeah. As, as the person GM, Brian, the same thing was going to happen pretty much regardless whether it was buried in the mountain or y'all were toting it along. Well, my, goal, my, my goal in that situation was not to reveal that to the other players that, who may not know that because that is up to Pat to determine whether they should have that information or not. I might, well, I might have seen behind the curtain. It is not my job to like spout that out. Now I want to know what that thing did. Uh, have you played Halo 3? I think so. Okay, well, just imagine, you know, opening a door to a star. Cool. Great. The half the ring movies. And we're just like, um, we're going to bury it in a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fun. Pretty dirty dirty. We're just going to dig a hole. Jeez. But the biggest thing about like modules is like if you don't know how to run a game, like that's what modules are there for. They are your little training. It's like introduce this NPC. Here's some ideas like of their attitude, their disposition. Maybe you're not used to acting or have never acted before. Here's how you should maybe portray this character. Here's some foibles. Maybe it's a speech pattern, maybe it's information they provide. Here's some examples of how checks are set. Because you might know a lot of the rules, but you don't know how they interact until you actually start messing around with them. And and maybe that's something I need to think about next time I uh, I play with a module, because Two-Headed Serpent was probably the first module, or maybe the second module I ever messed with. I, just, I see Zach with them all the time, and he got it for me as a gift. I'm like, well, I can't not run it. Um, <laughs> but the fact that you don't have to use every single piece because there was characters and chapters that none of the players even interacted with that had a short little story with them. And hey, we didn't talk to them. We didn't get to find out about that character. So what? We moved on. So, and that was something whenever I was reading the chapters, I'm like, oh God, I got to remember all this. Not necessarily. No, y- you need the five minute summary. Yeah, summary of the chapter, and you're good to go. All right, so homebrews, pros and cons. Um, something I can say is a pro about the homebrew is it is very liberating. If people go off the rails as they are wont to do in your games, you know you know what's going to be happening in your world, so. You can either make a new track for them to go on something completely different, or you can easily navigate them back into what they need to be doing, I find. Um, A big con for me for homebrews is you can put in a whole lot of work. You can be doing world building, making all these characters, all these different things, all these cool interactions. You're like, oh my god, this would be neat if they did this. And they never touch that, and it's hours of your work just out the window. What about for you, Zach, for uh, pros and cons on homebrew? The biggest like strength of homebrew is the freedom. And don't be f- afraid to borrow anything. And I do mean borrow, don't steal. The fourth edition campaign I ran was literally a combination of Mega Man X and Castlevania 2, set in 4th edition. I just rethemed it and changed a couple things. 
My players never knew that. There was like one like Resident Evil joke in the middle somewhere. Resident Evil 4 specifically. Yeah, one of my homebrews um, I stole from The Hangover because at that point in time I was tired of the, the oh, you're at an inn and that's where it all starts and oh, there's a guild contract on the cork board. At that time, you know, I was just like, fuck that. Y'all are all waking up in a cornfield. They all each had little clues of what had happened to them the night before, but they all had amnesia um, about, like, how they got there. And then it starts where, you know, the farmer's got his pitchfork on the porch yelling, hey, where's my daughter? And that's how the adventure began. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it devolved into very comedy, not super serious. And I find that with my homebrews, they always devolve into just comedy. And I can't help that. I don't know why. It's just where we go with it. I mean, Pat, do you recall a invasion of coffee tables in one of the first Call of Cthulhu things I ran for you? Yes, yes. And I appreciated it. Um, <laughs> and then... Further on in this uh, in this hangover esque D and D campaign I was running, um, they were backtracking events and seeing their future selves solve pro- puzzles for their past selves. So then I started messing with like fucked up timelines, and then I just screwed the pooch on that campaign. So that's um, one thing I can say about homebrews is. Uh, it's pretty easy to get off track or get lost in what you're doing and not have kind of a cohesive story. It just ends up being a lot of random shit. Now, um, Brian and Lindsay, have, do y'all know how many homebrews versus how many uh, modules y'all have like been involved with? Actually, when I started playing, it was all homebrew. We were just learning and figuring out as it, as we went. I know my friend Sam and I even co-GM'd together the first little um, one shot. It ended up going uh, two different sessions, but and that was just completely the whole scenario was kind of, it was a little railroady because we just wanted to learn how to play. Um, but yeah, I mean, initially it was just mostly homebrew, but now with you guys, it's mostly been module. So. Um, I honestly like couldn't, say how many i think it's probably been more module but i do feel like i've we've done a few homebrewy type things well brian Which, that's that's on me because i always add either a vignette or a scenario or a whole section that's all mine yeah i would oh, call out i would call out the airship when we did uh fifth edition the crashing of the airship was all me that haunted house that you and pat and a lot of people went into that was really Messed up. That was all me. Those objects in um, um, oh gosh, the module name it just went out of my head. Oh, all of the gaunt stuff in Children of Fear yeah, was all, all me. of that. All of that was you. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate that. I, I think you know, blending the two together is is really cool. Um, and that's that kind of lends just knowing what you're doing. And I really think it adds a lot to the gameplay because 
you know, I, I could go on Spotify or wherever and, you know, find somebody playing and like recording the game that we're going through and kind of, you know, have spoilers and know what's going on. But if it's, you know, the way Zach does it, it's like, oh, okay, well, yes, this is, these are the general guides. It seems like you go through, these are the general guides, but I'm throwing in a bunch of like curveballs. And I, I appreciate that as somebody who um, likes to know what's going on. Well, as a call out to Ian, I don't know if you guys realize we're playing like four or five Call of Cthulhu modules at the same time. I don't know if you guys knew that. I did not. Damn, Ian. Uh, he's adapted. Um, he's adapted and adjusted a whole bunch of them, but like I could call out every single one of them if I had to. Wow. I I had a feeling because he had mentioned multiple HP Lovecraft stories. So that's why I, my guess was, oh wow, this is like oh, there's a lot of stuff going on. But Which, this, this is also yeah. Ian's first like really big Call of Cthulhu campaign, and I have nothing against him doing that. It's been very fun. He's killing it. He's getting yeah. uh, the the forged in fire treatment for Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> and I yeah. will have to say, I think it's only Pat in at least this like in terms of the podcast as the only player that's run through my island adventure. I have a internal module I run when I'm trying to out a new system on an island and it's like the same thing happens every time but I'm trying out a new system so I'm seeing like what the system can handle and what it can't because as a game master you need to know that you need to know where the boundaries are because some systems can do stuff and some systems can't yeah and he's he's used this system in like um, high tech kind of sci-fi setting because I remember in that, I was a uh, Woos Brillis, uh, the fifth element. <laughs> oh, yeah. Woos Brillis. And, uh, but then he's run it another time when we were in Warhammer Fantasy, and I was, you know, a rich nobleman's son, which I then went on to play. So, yeah, having a little mock-up to run in a new system is also a, a good way to get started. Was his name Barrison Lord? <laughs> no, that was, it was, uh, it was Felix Yeager. Oh, Zach okay. knows the character. <laughs> uh, he he will live on. Yeah. <laughs> he he got the cart and the shit and he said, fuck all y'all, I'm out of this shit whole town. <laughs> um so we talked about the pros and cons of homebrew and modules. And um, you know, just just find out what you're comfortable with. Uh in my beginnings was homebrews just testing the water, testing the system, getting goofy with it. But um, now that I've gotten older, I think I might appreciate modules a little bit more. Um, but now it takes us to our next topic. So the biggest thing, modules or not, regardless of anything else, your job as a game master is you set the sage, you pull up the curtain, and the players do stuff. They are not they are not riding down the railroad track unless you really need them to. Like, that is a last resort. And speaking of the railroad, since we're talking about the railroad, if you don't know what this is, it means the set storyline that the players have to go on, in essence, to carry on the plot of the story. But it's one of those finesse things that 
kind of like um, I think they said at Disney World rides, you don't want them to know that they are on the rails. You want to blind them with all the magic of what's around it's them. An experience versus no, you're on a track. But the the second they see the track, everything loses its magic. So, you know, we'll always be on rails, but you don't want them to see the rails ever. Because you want, you want everybody to drive the story themselves. As the GM, you're not the story driver. You're just the conductor of the train. And sometimes I feel like you have to, you have to lay new track to get back to. Sometimes, oh. you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and just kind of, yeah, finagle. <laughs> And if you don't like the train conductor uh, example, you are the lead person. You're the ringmaster of the circus. But guess what? You just introduce everyone else. You introduce the main characters, your players. And occasionally an NPC might come out and they might be a star for a little bit. But guess what? The players are still the superstars. They're, the, they, they're your top billing. Don't forget that. All right. So once you've settled on you know, the story narrative that that you're going with. Now we get to the tabletop. Physical representation or theater of the mind? What are the pros and cons there? Um, somebody want to take over for theater of the mind, pros and cons? I personally love theater of the mind. You can be descriptive. You can be open. You are not bound to squares and hexes. But if Lindsay or Brian want to follow up on that, that's fine with me. No, I was I was going to say the same thing. I'm as somebody with a overactive imagination. Uh, I, I enjoy theater of the mind. I'm sure there's some merits to having something drawn out, and I think when we did um, the Temple of Elemental Evil, we did have a little bit of a like a map. And that that definitely helped, but you know when we would go into a room, you would describe it, and my brain would create the actual scene. Um, so I I definitely appreciate theater of the mind, um, but again, a little little more on the creative side myself. So personally, I both uh, both work for me um, theater, but I feel like especially whatever system you're playing, I think that can influence it as well. Um, like for Call of Cthulhu, I feel like that's theater of the mind up and down. I feel like it benefits from that. Um, and that's a good point. Like in Call of Cthulhu, like if you roll like, you know, spot hidden, you're not like, I roll spot hidden at this specific bed. Like, no, you just roll spot hidden. And I'll tell you and it's there. if there's yeah, something not, in the room, not like, yeah. no, it's specifically right there in, Square forty-five, and it's not you know if you if you happen to find yourself in any kind of combat in Call of Cthulhu, it's not like you know it's not like well you have to be you know five feet away for this, and then you have to be you know it's not it's not as if, if that makes any sense. Well, it's also not like, as also if you're in combat in Call of Cthulhu, mistakes were made. <laughs> mistakes were made exactly. You're not with Call of Cthulhu if you're if you're shooting a gun. And you're taking your time to keep shooting something. You you've made the wrong choice. You have to. You, you're you're you should be running. Um, <laughs> so I feel like depending on the system, you know. But honestly, both are fine with me. I I 
I fucks with both of them, but I just think that some systems lend themselves better to some. Yeah, uh, Lindsay, I I couldn't have said it better than you. Like you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, <laughs> um, but I would, you know, investigate investigation systems, RP heavy systems, theater of the mind is where it's at. Um, and I'd say combat heavy ones is where table representation helps. Where like, oh, you know, I like position myself between the wizard and this you know hobgoblin as the well, fighter like, like, like especially like in D where like you're a spellcaster this spell like affects five five foot squares like okay then you need to know that yeah yeah and visually see where those dudes are at um something we haven't mentioned about probably one of the best perks for theater of the mind is the cost it costs nothing <laughs> versus uh, the probably one of the biggest negatives to physical representation is the cost. Now you can, you know, you can use chess pieces or pennies and coins. You could use uh, candy. Candy, or, like if you if you kill the candy, you get to eat the candy. That's a cool. That's thing. great. Yeah, we used we used Monopoly pieces. The <laughs> we played initially. Yeah. And things like that, like, you know. Um, but, you know, you can get as crazy as your wallet wants you to be as far as physical representation. You can go out and get a resin 3D printer and print up all the models for everything so everybody can see it. Uh, and you could, you know, get a plywood table and put hills and uh, model compound and fake rocks and put I some also, out for I, I also think there's a hidden trap in theater, aside from theater of the mind, uh, physical representation. Depending on the encounter, you also like reach a point where like, you can't do that. I'm going to call out the level 100 second edition campaign where you have a, a 10,000 zombie encounter. Like, no, theater of the mind that. Don't even bother. Like, yeah, put the characters cool. in the center of the map. Don't even bother anything else. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. Uh, that's like when you know your one of your grandparents reaches like ninety, and you're not putting ninety birthday candles. You're putting nine, and then each one is ten. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Or my dad's seventy, so we just got like two candles, a seven and a zero. Like we have all the other numbers, and that we're fine. Oh yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, that works too. Now another pro for theater of the mind to me is. Um, you know, not only do you have all this cool shit to look at, which, you know, if we're talking like board games, you know, you can ask Zach, I'm a sucker for like cool minis or um, engaging boards. Like, oh, look at that. Like we're playing Shadows over Camelot. It's like, oh, we're in the castle. No, there's the fields and the beaches and the guys fighting on it. I'm a sucker for all that shit. But somebody that is uh, new into a, a role play system, um, I'd say physical representation is easier for them to grasp because, you know, they can look down and see, oh, that's the saloon over there. Oh, there's the outhouse. There's the gallows over here. You know, it's easier for somebody to grasp that is new to role playing. I think one of the advantages of theater of the mind in that same regard in terms of differences, letting you know, letting the players know like the hard limitations and sometimes that's harder to like represent like that's what your descriptive terms are 
Okay, I'm gonna go like attack the Shoggoth. What happens? You're utterly destroyed. Don't even bother rolling a new character. Yep, you're done. Oh, and I guess a, a con for physical representation is I think I find that it slows down the games. Yes. It does. Moving the pieces, getting them out, cleaning them up at the end. It's it's a whole thing. Also compared to like D and D, and this is not D and D's fault. This is like just combat focused RPGs. Is they already take a long time, and sometimes the physical map makes them take even longer. Like, yeah, I, I do remember you play like playing D and D, and you're you know you're running it, and you just use die. You know, like oh, there's there's six cobalts in this room, and you would like put them out as to like general area as just on the table. And that was helpful, you know, knowing that spellcasters and whatnot have so much room, but or seeing like how they would move during combat or like where that was useful because it that is a little bit harder to track in my mind personally, but also, Brian, like if I have to like pull out the full battle mount and draw it, I am draw. It is a very specific reason it has happened. Yeah, and it sense. is not just combat. Like there's a cooler spell happening or some other big effect. I'm sorry, I'm lazy. Like I fully admit it, I'm lazy. But most of us are young adults. We work forty hours plus a week. That is a lot of effort versus like just do the thing. You say lazy, I say efficient. I mean, I will call it a specifically in Warhammer Fantasy. Pat was there. Oh, there's a whole cave versus goblins. Like, you guys are not a high level because there's no levels in Warhammer Fantasy. Like, goblins pose next to no threat of you. They're just going to drain, like, a little bit of HP and time. I could finish this this entire section of this book tonight. Or, or I can run these two combats. I'm going to work on finishing the section of the book. That yep. makes sense. Logical. Yeah. As far as... Or go ahead. To also call myself out, I definitely use a certain ghost car to force all my players back on track because I had built a haunted house. I'm like, hey guys, I designed this haunted house. I don't want this session to go three sessions the ghost car is taking you to the haunted house you are finishing the haunted house tonight we didn't finish the in, the- in theory I should have let you guys take your time like that Like I should have actually done that that is on me but like no guys I have other stuff to do I want you to finish this tonight we, in fairness, we weren't doing anything. We were avoiding the haunted house. <laughs> yeah, like no doubt, we were. No, Lindsay, was like Lindsay, it, it was like we messed, messed up house. The messed up house. It like makes Arkham Asylum look like a vacation destination. Oh, it was terrible. Outside was terrible. Inside was like. It, it was like like I, I will go spend a three day weekend on Alcatraz before I stay in that house. Cool. Yeah, the the pig man that was definitely wanging about, wanging about. Yeah, 
Yeah, without yeah. Or the corpse with a bunch of, you know, holes in it. It's all right. It's all good. I'm I'm good. <laughs> yeah. That was uh well, the body yeah. that each day had missing portions. Yep. I I did uh I did almost make a very gross decision at one point. Because we're looking for a specific lady, like girl, and we opened a room to like a theater. And there's two headless people. One, you know, it's a male and a female. And I was like, well, how are we going to know what color her hair is? We knew what color the person's hair was we were looking for. <sighs> and, and, you know, orating my thoughts quietly to myself. Luckily, Zach was sitting right next to me. He's like, just check the wallet. I was like, that's that's way that's better. That's better. That's better. It's way better. better. <laughs> right, exactly. Did you know where my brain was going? Like, well... To be fair, if I was in full, like, 1920s mode, like, it would... It would write the hair color, but like it wouldn't show it. But that was still the better choice. Like better you know, choice. you know that, right? Yeah. Oh no, I like also better we, choice. Also, we were playing in public, and like we were already like moving into X. So like, hey guys, let's like put this back into PG thirteen. Yeah, my bad. Let's backpedal a little bit because like the whole thing, like we're already in R, and I mean like hard R. Let's Oof, move that yeah. R back a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Ghost car brought us there, man. We were just living it. <laughs> exactly. It's the ghost car's fault. This is the ghost cards world. We're just living in it. Yeah, but well, I, I could, I could also call it an, an actual train where someone activated a robot. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, not me. I did not activate robot. Hey, Lindsay, you're playing Call of Cthulhu. There's a broken down robot. I'm going to repair it. What's the nope. worst that can happen? Nope. You <laughs> By the way, that, no, robot, you that, that robot looks like Dr. Doom. No, you stick it, you put dynamite in its mouth and you blow it up. Just don't, just don't fuck with it. Because it has like a fire saber and other yeah, terrible no. things. No, you burn that shit out like you, and you walk uh, away. Now, Lizzie, just imagine like a Harry Potter sneeze, but it is covered with razor wire. No. And the tax shoe. No. No, thank you. Pass. I would like to pass. Oh, <laughs> or everyone oh, going to the castle. Gonna, everyone going to the castle. I'm going to pass my spot hit and roll. That was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, the game didn't last too much longer. We got back. I got spells, and five minutes later, the game was over. Man, that 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 goblet of wine was really coppery. I know. Why was it really coppery? Oh, you know, reasons. What kind of reasons? Vampiric. Vampiric reasons. <laughs> Life-sustaining reasons. But um, anemic reasons. To close out our uh, thoughts on physical representation or theater of the mind, basically pick what options best for you. Uh, and if you do choose the route of physical representation. I'd recommend starting small, you know, with cheap things. See if it is the thing for you and your group. And if excuse, it's not, excuse me, Pat. I, Pat, I have to call you out. Legos is the greatest trick you've ever showed me. I'm, I'm, I got the collection built. Like one day we will be playing with Lego minifigs. Yeah. And uh, I was 
I have a Star Wars RPG lined up with Lego minifigs, and I have um, I have a Paul Cthulhu minifigs that you've seen. There, Zach. We're getting there. Uh, the other thing is always ask for feedback. No one wants to hear you're Dave, the greatest role player RPG game master ever. No. Everyone can improve. That is like my longest standing thing as a human. You can never improve. You should just die then. Now, Zach, would you have any uh, RP recommendations as a game master, you know, for playing your different characters? This is probably my weakest point, but I will at least attempt to try. Summon the character in your mind. Like, become that character. There's a specific character that I use the most. I call it my salesman guy. Yeah. Uh, he's the Pogo Gogo guy. He's based on basically Boomy from uh, Avatar. You do the thing. Pogo Gogo. It's the Pogo yep. Gogo. You go faster. Pogo Gogo. Yeah, summon the character in your mind. Uh, Jimmy Bones is probably my second most used character. We're like, What's Jimmy Bones' uh, attitude? Uh, death. Like, like avarice and death. Like, don't mess with Jimmy Bones. But I love Pogo Go Go. It's the Pogo Go. What's it do? It makes you go go. What? Go go faster. Yeah. And as we, you know, as you GM more, you'll have your go to voices that are in your little toolbox of voices. Um, I found out that for, I, I guess, a natural progress, uh, progression for role-playing different NPCs and stuff in your games, um, I feel like an old person voice is always something that everybody has in their back pocket. Even since we were little kids, everybody's pretended oh, to be an old man. I, I'll help you out. How do neighbor? What can I do for you? <laughs> you know, or whatever that old colonel that was hitting on Lindsay's character is math. My mustache will come for you. And uh, Brian and Lindsay, do y'all feel like you would have you, y'all have old person voices somewhere deep in you? Deep in there. Deep in there. Deep, well, deep we're on the I have an old. I have an old person voice deep inside. Oh, get off my lawn! Could you speak up there, you young whippersnapper? It's hard to hear you. Mine's southern. You know, a southern ball. I would also say that me and Pat, like, this is like this is the area of like RPGness that we need to improve. Yeah, and I I have been as a player been working towards it. I do have I have a addition that would make uh, Jimmy Bones that much better. Is if he constantly sucked his teeth when he was talking, just like, like because I think of Jimmy Bones as like semi pimp, right? And I just think of like just sucking his teeth all the time. I don't know why. <laughs> Got to get some teeth sucking in there, Zach. I think of uh, Kingpin from Spider-Man. I don't know why. Damn. Oh, okay, that's... yeah. See, I have a very small slender man in my mind for Jimmy Bones. So, oh, Bri- sense. Brian is more correct in terms of his stature. Like, he's 5'7". Yeah. 
Yeah, he's a little guy. Yeah, he's like I assume he has like a gold tooth and like wears a pimp hat. <laughs> but he's the kind of guy where like if his shadow falls on you, it's like man, I have like something to do and like ten buck two right now. Um, but for jamming, I like I said, an old voice is usually easy one to start out with. Then um. I've had plenty of goblins I've had to role play. Like, how do you do, boss? What can we do for you? You know, just that high pitch, squeaky kind of something. And uh, then maybe like, oh, yeah. what are you selling? Oh yeah, that uh, that's that scum dog voice from Resident Evil Four. Yeah, yeah. And let's see, um, like a proud nobleman is. You know, that's just like you know, haughty. a very honorable voice. You know, oh, uh, that's not an authentic kangaroo rug. <laughs> exactly. But the biggest thing with role playing your characters for people is, well, it's kind of multifold. You gotta be okay with it. You know, jump out there. It's something that gets people more hooked into the game, even if you feel silly doing it. And you have, um, you, you have to lose some like personal shame. Also, like in any scene, role play what that character wants and what that character hates. Like what like what bar they won't bend. Yeah. Yeah. I will definitely lean on Lindsay and Brian on those two because it's something I need to work on personally. There's a lot of trust that happens at the table. And sometimes it's hard to let go. And to just, like I said, feel silly. Like you said, feel silly. Um, you just have to remind yourself, and I have to remind myself too, that everyone's here to play the game. And, you know, everyone's here sitting at this table. You know, they have a million other things they could be doing right now, but they're here and they're, they they want to play this game. And so let's play the game. And so you just have to, I have to remind myself sometimes and just be like, Everyone's here to play. And so when you're playing together, there is a certain level of trust playing these games that there's something going on at the table that's very unique to this type of game. Um, is that it, there's a lot of trust that, that has to go on there. But that's something that I remind myself all the time is that we're here having fun and everyone is here to do the same thing. So um, it's tough. I'm I need to give you a big old Bob Ross fro and a hug. That was like perfect. <laughs> um, but that's, I mean, I think that's the hardest, probably the hardest part of role playing is letting go. It's very difficult to do if you've never experienced it before. But the thing is, another thing you have to remind yourself is that it's just like anything else. The more you do it, the better you're going to get. You're practicing. You didn't just pick up stuff and just, you didn't pick up a guitar and you could just play it. You have to practice unless you're, you know, a savant, which is rare, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just like any other skill you're, you're learning as you go. And so don't, don't be, try not to be super hard on yourself. It's, it's, it's a learning, you're learning, you have to practice. And the only way to do that is to do it. And so, you know, try not to be super hard on yourself all the time. I know that's easy to say, harder to do. Um, and um, yeah. it's a I find it 
I find it pretty infectious. Like if somebody starts doing voices for their characters at the table, it incentivizes me to do it as well. So anytime I'm playing a RPG with like Ian or Lindsay, who I believe are our stronger role players, I'm stoked because I know they're going to try and do a voice or something unique for their characters, which inspires me to do the same with mine. So if you are the GM, you know, I, we know that there's a lot that already rests upon your shoulders as being the GM, but you're also, you know, the conductor of the funness of the session. So just shed off that shame and just give it a go. So, like, if you can, like, boil down a character to core characteristics, I'm going to call out my uh, cowboy character that me and, Linz- me and Lindsay worked with in Atsa. Mm. I love him. Two-headed serpent. It's like... What's his characteristic? Uh, he's a bastard-coated bastard with bastard flakes. Yep. What's he going to do? Yep. Be a, be yep. a bastard. Mm-hmm. He's real good at it. Oh, and guys, I think I've tapped into my RPN in this little Western campaign, because I am just like redneck hillbilly as shit. Wait. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my god. Like the... <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> the, the, I love you. The first scene, um, uh, there was a guy being hung out in, at the gallows in town, and apparently our, everybody in town you know, came around to watch it, because what else are you going to do in the West anyways? That's like as good as TV. Um, but my guy was in an outhouse watching the hanging through like the little moon cut in the door, and shit went down, so I kick open the door, because I'm like... Now, um, now, now did it go down in two different locations? Yes, it did. Oh, Shit okay. was going down. And then... <laughs> but I, um, I'm playing this, like, fat prospector dude. I had my long johns on and some overalls, and I'm fighting to get my pants on while kicking down that door and pulling up my shotgun. I'm like, what? She's going on out here. <laughs> and everyone's just, like, lost their shit and, like, yes, that's a good character introduction. I can um, recall Brian... Uh borrowing money from me and then only paying back some of it. I'm like, Brian, you were so lucky my character didn't know you didn't give back like, the full like rebate on that because you'd be <laughs> fucking dead. Sick. Yeah, yeah. I had I, I did not realize the depth of your bastard. Um, yeah, that, that, that was before I like hu- almost hung that guy out the window like, hey, can we have this map? What do you mean? Well, you're not using it. Like, what do you mean? It's like, it's like I locked this door. Like, I'm getting this fucking map. I don't think you realize that. Yeah, when you lock the door with us in, are you talking about <laughs> the, when you lock the, the, the door with the, the survey engineer? Oh, yeah. Like, we have this map. Show her this map. Like, okay, it looks like this. Like, I'm going to lock the door. It's like, we're going to get this map. Why are we getting this map? Because I fucking want it. Why else? Like, I don't think you realize we're getting this fucking map. Like, I don't care. Like, that's, that's my current You're objective. like, I turn around and I lock the door and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> or like, Here even before we got in there, like, Oh, there's a whole bunch of like crowd of locals, like natives, like 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 you know, before the gates, like like protesting or whatever. It's like I'm just gonna like take my shotgun and fire it in the air, and if they don't like part, well, we're gonna have problems. We're gonna have a lot of dead people. Ah, oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, actually, you bringing up that whole story is that kind of made me realize something else that not all RP has to be vocalized as well because Zach's character was this old gruff you know cowboy but Zach was always taking a long drag off a cigarette before he did something memorable or noteworthy so Zach the player would you know pretend to 
light and take a draw off an imaginary cigarette and like flick it off and then do a thing. So it doesn't all have, always have to be a voice. You can just literally act it out yourself too. And that's, uh, and that's yeah, and that's a good point too. Even mannerisms, yes, absolutely, and also sometimes even self narration just for a second, if like you're in a situation of like your character doesn't say anything, but you can say what your character is doing. Um, Or even if you find yourself, and sometimes I've done this where if I'm in, you know, if I'm in a moment with someone else and we're, we're having a conversation and I'm not exactly sure how to respond, I'll take a moment and I'll narrate something. I'll be like, Oh, I take a, you know, a sip from my, my teacup or whatever. And then kind of try to formulate what I'm going to say or what, or what she would say. Back. Also on that, don't be afraid of props. Uh, Sean, a player in a different game, literally has a fez and he's playing an Egyptian man. And RC just picked up a top hat and he's a magician. Bonus points on all of that. Anything that, any, I mean, if it helps you and it makes you feel more in it, then absolutely. I want it. I want to see it. <laughs> Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be full cosplay. It could be just a hat, or I'm looking around for a corncob pipe for my prospector. Like, just a, a little a little prop or something can just take it that little extra bit. Pat, I, I want, once you've developed this voice more, I want some authentic frontier gibberish. Oh, oh, you got it. You got it. Well, um, there was a little boy uh, running out of the woods that was all torn up and whatnot. And um, I'm trying to use like a lot of, I want to say that they're called euphemisms, but I'm not sure if that's the proper word. Colloquialisms. Where, um, like, he came out and I'm like, boy, what you doing running out of there like a bat out of hell? What's your problem? And like, I don't know. I just, I'm in this Western character now. He's my new persona. Also, I'm not gonna lie, you sounded like 90% like my brother-in-law from Virginia. Oh boy. <laughs> also to call out Ian, he's perfect for like miming a prop. Like when he had a ca- his cane and he's like moving papers on the desk or banging it on the desk. He didn't have a cane in his hand, but he was at least miming it. But him miming it just brought it to life so much more because you could just visualize it because how he's pretending to pat down the table. Bang, bang, bang. Or like moving the papers with like a swish of his cane. Yeah, don't be yeah. afraid. Don't be afraid of, of mannerisms. Don't be afraid of anything like that. So, gang, do we have any closing remarks for an aspiring GM? I, I have a couple. Not, not many. Uh, always ask and take feedback. Don't expect your Dave the greatest RPG ever, like role player ever or Game Master ever, always take feedback. Like, like Matt Mercer is a great Game Master. No one can deny this, but guess what? You are you and not Matt Mercer. You need to be you. Don't be Matt Mercer, be you. And it's hard to hear that because he's great. And he would be the first to tell you to be you. (laughs) Like, you know, yeah. And then the other most like important thing is one, have fun, and two, schedule your next session. Because if you don't, your game dies. Hence our conversation. Hence our conversation about like getting that date set 
we're going to meet every day on this date at this time, unless like something happens. If you don't do that every week, your game dies. Why does that suck as a player? You don't have a game to play. Why does it suck as a game master? You don't have players to run. And that's not something you can hand off. I can't be like, yo, Lindsay, make sure everyone's good next week. Like, Lindsay has to do Lindsay things. But Lindsay's focused on Lindsay. Lindsay things. Okay, Zach, I'll do it, but I've got to light people on fire with my brain. With my mind powers. Um, my big things would basically be communication, be transparent, and, uh, you know, just as Zach said it earlier, and we could reiterate it till we're blue in the face, you're there to have fun. You're not there to be the coolest or, you know, to fight somebody. You're, you're there to enjoy your time off. And as soon as it becomes not fun, you know, maybe look inwardly and just be like, what am I doing wrong or what are we doing wrong? How can we fix this? And Pat, and, you, just, you just said the number one thing, communicate. Yeah, communicate. Hey, Greg, don't do that again. Or hey, I want my character to have the option to do this or do this. Well, is it you communicating that to the game master? Or is that you not communicating that through your character? Sometimes it's hard to determine, but you need to start communicating either way. And often, uh, I think I've had it before where, say, something comes up where it's a big no-no, and you're the game master at the time, so you know you can dictate, like, hey, we aren't doing that. If you let it happen, and then you carry on, you've missed your opportunity to stop it carrying on going forward. No, that is definitely like, hey... That happened the one time. No, it's not happening again. It's the same thing with rules calls. Like, hey, we're going to rule it like this this one time, and I will reevaluate and read the rule and come back to you. And, um, you know, being the game master, you're going to have to navigate some social situations that are uh, often awkward or weird, and it's just the nature of the beast. You'll learn as you go. Um, you can lean on other game masters for, hey, how do you handle this situation? You know, and uh, we're all a community, so you can reach out. You don't have to figure out how to do this by yourself. Yeah, we didn't mention that earlier, but like if you have a GM mentor or another GM either in your party as a player or close to that area, don't be afraid to ask anything. Even if they're like, Younger as a DM than you, or a GM than you, they might know more, or they might know something you don't. Yeah, and give you different angles that you didn't even think about. And uh, most of the time, if you're approaching somebody else that's a GM and you're letting them know, like, hey, I'm interested in doing this too, I'd say about 99% of the time they're going to help you out because you know what that means? They have a chance to play with you as well. So, you know, that's a major thing. And I guess for my very last thing, just take the leap. Rip that Band-Aid off. Do the thing. Don't be scared. It'll be all right. It's scary. So scary. Well, generally things that are scary lead to uh, better things. So I'm for it. Better things like Tucker fucking Carlson. Yep. Now that has been. So that's that's my. uh, I would 
I would say as my aspiring GM miss um, to not push but gently nudge your characters players to play characters that are maybe outside their wheelhouse because oh uh, i 100% agree like oh i'm going to play so is like be the scummiest scum that you ever scummed before what does that mean well you've hit rock bottom now you can work your way up you can be that holier than thou cuz you know when you hit rock bottom <laughs> yep yep yeah, it I'm, is liberating I'm, I'm, playing someone who's just scummy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's liberating playing somebody who's incredibly pompous because that is just not in my general life wheelhouse, and it's entertaining to be able to role play it. So, uh, yeah, thanks. I mean, for that I, too. I mean, I'm someone who can't even. I get, I get stomach aches when I have to make like in those choice based RPG video games, or you have to make like the mean choice i always am like oh but like when i play when i've been playing this most recent character i've I've been playing who's an assassin it's pretty liberating it took me a minute to kind of get past that kind so, of so if it was a quick time of it pedestrian rock walking across road safely <laughs> escort them across or hurl them into windshield and kill them to stop the Speeding car. Oh, I'm picking that one right now. With my mind powers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And everyone at the table was like, well, would she care? I'm like, no. Nope. She doesn't care. She's got to stop that car somehow. To be we tried to stop that car many times before that many happened. Many times. Okay. Let me just preface. Yes, we tried many different methods to stop this car. <laughs> I recall steering wheel being manipulated and many I turned the steering wheel you were like straight up just like trying to shoot people in the car <laughs> a mess tires we were trying to shoot tires I think it it was a nightmare <laughs> anyway yeah pedestrian and, to windshield and through that I know my like me as a player I'm much more I don't want to say scared, but apprehensive and just like uh, aware of your character more now than like session one through three. It's uh, your character arc has been very good. <laughs> and that's the thing when you're playing characters, if you're a, if you're a player, if you're a player, you start with a character and you have your rough outline or however you everybody's different with with creating characters um but you sit down at the table and you actually play them it usually is much different than you think than you anticipate um and sometimes you have to kind of you kind of roll with it and then you kind of find them sometimes it takes a few games before you find who they are Yep, calling back my bastard character, I still was willing to yo-yo myself out of an airplane to save the party. Yep. Or like you pile in that plane. Well, they're like in the windshield of the of the airplane. Shoot through the windshield. They're giant like bat monsters. What do you care? Cool. I think another thing to be aware of from the player perspective, like role playing your character, is like. Don't put yourself in your box. Put yourself in your GM's box. You might find those boundaries to be wider than you think they are. Because generally, the, the GM's box is like, okay, what is an X card? That's my box. 
I will call it Ian being an expert about finding those batteries. He <laughs> is very good at that. 100%. Was, <laughs> was it Delta Green? Like, he, he was this DEA agent, and, and he, like, as he was creating his character, it was just getting worse and worse. Oh, no, and no. Like, I, everyone was like, so it sounds like, okay, let's dial this up to 11,000. Yeah, I was and like, I, I, I think this is the scummiest, almost awful character anyone has played at this table. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. And I think at one point he was trying to make a decision and I he like looked at me and he's just like, I'm not gonna cross that particular line. I think it was with Luke's character, the at that uh, time. It was between underrated. you and Luke's character is like, let's not be culturally racist right now. Yes, yes, that was it. That's like, this. I was like, you've crossed a lot of boundaries, which is like, I get it. Like, it's to me, this is freedom of expression for the most part. So, um, if you want to let your freak flag fly, go for it. <laughs> At some point, though, I'm like, wow, it's a little, you know, you're da- dancing on the line. You can jump over a little bit, but it, it was about to be a leap for a you know, hot minute there. Also, to call out the reverse of X cards, guess what? There, there are plenty of times where characters were gay. You never knew that. Unless you super found out. In masks, there is literally a Nazi, because the Nazi party was around in 1930 and 25. But you know what? Unless you push that button, you're not going to find out. Because sometimes, like, that's life. You're not going to know everything about everybody. Yeah. And especially like with Delta Green. I mean, my character was definitely not straight, but. I oh, mean, Lindsay, Lindsay, I didn't want to call that earlier. I can call out yeah. several previous yeah. characters who were like, oh, yeah. was she not straight? It's like, technically she wasn't. But in terms of you figuring that out, you had to work real hard. You were going to have to. Yeah. Yeah. You were going to have to work at it. Yeah. And guess so what? Cool. Given the time period, that's how it was. Whether that's fair or not, no. But we are simulating an experience, not forcing to live in that experience. And with Delta Green, even that, because it started out in the 90s. So still, it wasn't something that was, you know, and especially playing agents that we didn't even know really the first names. We all had code names. It was a very, like, you know. I will call out. I will call out Jackson Elias as being gay the entire time, and pretty much no one knew that. Wow, cool. Yeah. Yep, you were a eunuch. To be fair, you were a Catholic priest, so minus the little boys joke, it never came up. Yeah, yeah, and that's something else I, like, role-playing-wise as a player, um, when you're role-playing, I mean, keep secrets. It's fun to, you know, because in reality, you know, you're not going to walk up and introduce yourself and then tell everyone your whole life story. You know, keep keep things in. It's fun. That also, way. secrets are gas for you yep. and the game master later. Like, if you need to pour gas in a scene, that's where you get it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so I- fun to sit at the table and be like, okay, I'm going to, f- we're trying to figure out who these people are. You're not giving much away, and it's getting those little 
little pieces and you're like, oh, I'm going to press that button later. You know, things, you know, it's just, it's like you said, it's gas. Yeah. The reverse window. Oh, Rob's a rich, famous white guy. He's going to get into that famous club because they know he's a singer. That's like the opposite form of that said gas. Like it's still going to happen. Like, like be aware that at any time your character has powers you're not aware of. Whether you be the hobius hobo that ever hoboed, or you're the or you're Jeff Bezos, you have options that maybe a character at the table doesn't have. So I highly doubt someone made the same freaking characters you did. And also, if they did, your game master should have been like, "Okay, guys, work it out." All righty, gang. Well, I think I speak for all of us here at Ask the GM's podcast that we hope you have a grand time uh, jamming, potentially, or playing other games uh, where someone else is jamming. (laughs) And uh, everyone have a good evening. Yeah. I only want to call out uh, June 29th, the new uh, starter set for uh, Pendragon comes out, so check that out. And everyone have a good evening. And... Thank you for joining Ask the GMs.